Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We have a lot to recap this week, but we do have a very special guest rejoining us, one of the first few to make a second appearance on Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, a beloved figure from within the LAFC community, and someone who has certainly had some very big news in their life that we would like to help share with all of you this evening. Tonight, we are going to be joined by none other than El Bailador himself. Our dear friend Chris is going to be joining us. You know him from his dance moves on LAFC fans. He has recently acquired himself a football team. He has purchased the USPL side FC Mani, uh, which takes place down in Texas, where he has recently moved. So we're going to touch back in with him and see one of our favorite Nigerian friends and how he has moved to Texas to form himself his own football club. Fascinating story. He is, of course, an analyst for the Houston Dynamo, and you recognize him from the EPL coverage on Sky Sports as a commentator there as well, too. So really looking forward to that interview portion of the show when we get there a little bit later. But first, let's run through some news and notes and bring in the rest of our crew here. Chris, Christian, good evening, gentlemen. Yeah, man, everything is good. Still some sour grapes with LAFC's current performance, but there was a midweek lift with that all-star game that we will talk about, and that was a fun experience all the way around. You know, things things are good. Just you're looking for LAFC to change their current direction and right the ship, as it were. And hopefully it'll start this weekend with uh, the Galaxy. Yeah, no, lo, lo and behold, my prediction didn't come true. I wanted three goals. I wanted Chicho to score. To the score. None of that came true, although they all had very concrete chances against Vancouver, but it's the same story. Chances don't mean goals and chances missed become opportunities that you're begging for to come back in the end of the game, especially after the other team has been able to draw and then figure out a way to you know, score on us at the last moments, which has been happening since the inception of the team. I feel like we dropped so many points in the last five, ten minutes. I think a couple of seasons ago, I forget who did stats on that. And we would have been, I don't know how many more places above where we stood at the end of the season. But in the end, I think one thing I didn't like about the press conference after it was with Bob kind of sounding a little defeated or saying that I'm trying to help them and uh, he just can't find the way. So I, I don't want that to kind of be the attitude because then I feel like it's going to be harder to get out of this hole from a feeling in the locker room perspective. So... And then with Vela's injury, I think it's the wrong moment, too. It's it's just interesting how that is happening right before the All-Star game and, and Derby week. But still optimistic about this weekend. And I still think we're going to score three goals. I think it was a little dark to see Bob in that moment. We kind of got the curtain pulled back and got to see some real emotion from him. And it wasn't just his normal sort of rhetoric laden. I mean, Bob always has very insightful comments, you know, incredibly brilliant man but to see him just say look I don't know uh was disappointing you know that's not something you want to hear as honest as it was hopefully this much needed break and step away from LAFC to the world of the MLS all-stars maybe hopefully you know can be that high water mark where we can see the tides turn for us or maybe low water mark I should say at this point Really disappointing, though, to see yet another game slip through our fingers. You mentioned it, points lost from a position. And somebody on Twitter, I think it was LAFC Luke, if I've misquoted, forgive me, but looked into 
where LAFC would sit this season if we just didn't drop points from winning positions in games. And they went back and looked at every game in which we took a lead and either lost a lead or lost a tie. And if we hadn't done that, LAFC would be in first place right now. So obviously, these late game defensive collapses are a very big deal. And as much as myself and many other members of this community continue to point fingers at an offense that is simply not producing based on chances, there's something to be said for these defensive giveaways. And when we see a third game where Raheem Edwards cannot close a man down and put any kind of challenge on a cross coming into the box late in the game that ends up costing us a goal, when you see the same mistake happening by the same player in the same situations over and over, that erodes my faith in the player development side of things and my thoughts that we are just, oh, unlucky, we can learn from this. But when you see the same players making the same mistakes repeatedly, you know, again, that takes us down a very dark path. So hopefully LAFC can figure something out. I, I think we're all tired of saying that. I think at this point, if we get blown out by Carson, which knock on wood, hopefully that doesn't happen, but we could be looking at wholesale changes. I still think we're looking at a lot of player movement, either in this window or at the end of this season. It's going to be a very different LAFC team next year. And exactly how different may just be sculpted in these next few upcoming matches. I was curious if you guys have any thing you'd like to add on that topic well when it comes to the match we had talked about last episode the concern about playing on turf and how we are just having unlucky seasons this is the third injury for the third match on turf and um, that's extremely frustrating we don't know the status of Carlos and whether or not he is going to play this Saturday and that also uh, is frustrating because we definitely want to have all of our best players and it's not good when you have to have these changes in roster spots and things like that. I heard um, someone say today that Carlos is going to be out for four weeks. Also, because he and Chicharito did not play in the All-Star game, they would be disqualified from playing in the next match. So I believe that rules them both out of the LA Classica, regardless of whether they were fit to play or not. But they're not fit to play, and so neither Chicharito nor Vela will be playing this weekend. This has been like the promoted thing for two years, and it's yet to happen. And there's still all this bad luck around the two players and the injuries at the wrong moment, pregnancies, COVID. Well, no one could have predicted that, but still, just yet to happen. I find it really interesting too that I th- I felt like that rule the if you elected not to partake in the All Star game that you had a one game ban if a player's injured that shouldn't be held against them you know i I mean i think it's a moot point because they're both still going to be injured this weekend but i do think they were officially ruled out but anyways you know what it when it comes to your comments about raheem edwards and the development of our players you know it could also be just a a a mentality you know not having the the strong mindset to finish out a game you know, maybe people's focus, it's its a matter of people losing focus or just having these mental lapses, you know, and for all we know, too, maybe there's so much overcorrecting that players are thinking about trying to do five different things differently. And the one thing they forget to do is what ends up costing us a goal. But it's not that they're not trying to make changes to their play or changes to their mindset. It's just that they've got so much going on and they aren't able to do all of it. I don't know. I'm trying to be optimistic because I would like to think that people that have 
played this game their whole life and have coached this game their whole life should know better than me. But if I were to see something like that, a consistent mistake, I would like to think that I would correct it. But so it's hard for me to not give people the benefit of the doubt that efforts are not being made to make these changes. So it's, is I have to believe that it's on the player, not necessarily the staff. And I agree. The last thing I would say about run of games we're in is hopefully they can simplify the game. Like defending, you have to get tighter. And then scoring wise is to hit it on frame. Like th- that's the two things that our team isn't doing well. It's the patterns, the intricacies, the getting forward, being dynamic, all that is in there. I feel like the complex part of the game we're achieving from box to box. It's just the piece where we have to defend inside of our own box and then putting the ball away inside the opponent's box. Somehow those two things are not being simply achieved. Like we're not shooting. We're trying to make the extra pass when we're in this rut. I think just shoot from wherever and put it on frame. Don't make it perfect. And then defending, don't let anyone cross the ball. Don't let them shoot and foul if if it's in the middle of the park, if you have to. But we just got to defend for our lives because obviously our our forwards are not doing what they need to. And we need to bail them out. I think those are the the things that I don't know how else for the fans to kind of say it to them and whatever medium that we have and whether or not they're listening. And I'm sure Bob is saying the same things to them, but maybe they're just not hearing Bob anymore after a few years. Who knows? Who knows? It's certainly dark times. And as disappointing as this match was to view, the viewing party itself, which Chris and I were at, was actually quite a blast. Uh, We got to go down to Saturday's football, uh, House of Football. I don't know if you guys have been there yet, but I would highly recommend it. It's the old York Manor that has been converted from a church into uh, a place of worship for the game of football, so to speak. Uh, the upstairs is a really cool old antique kit store where you can buy old kits and scarves and cool pieces of clobber and memorabilia. And then the entire downstairs has been converted into a bar with viewing rooms and a big viewing area where we could all watch the game. They even have a little mini futsal pitch out back, which is a pretty cool venue. So uh, hats off to the folks at 1800 Tequila that invited us down there. Special shout outs to Sergio from 1800 who hosted us. And of course, Uncle Rich that was there as well, too. We had an absolute blast. We had some of the Folks from Ted Lasso were there, a bunch of people from within the LAFC community. We ran into Jonas Never, the famous mural artist from the Joe Kelly mural, the Dodgers murals, the Vela mural. There were a ton of people. Uh, Our friends at Defenders and Angel City Chicks were there as well, too. We ran into uh, what Albert. I mean, it was just a great occasion to see a lot of LAFC people get together in what was a really beautiful venue for what turned out to be a rather disappointing game. But uh, hats off to the folks at Saturday's Football and House of Football. And if you get a chance to attend a watch party there, go check out an EPL game or a Bundesliga game or anything that they have going on there, because that is an absolutely brilliant venue. And hats off to the folks at 1800 Tequila for making that happen. That was pretty fun. Yeah, you know, the, the whole weekend. I mean, if you look at Saturday and carry it on all the way through Wednesday, those were five days of just a lot of fun, a lot of activities. There was all sorts of MLS charitable events on sunday there was the food drive where they were packaging food monday there was the commemorative futsal court that was dedicated at a school in watts with sticks monday night was the kickoff uh, celebration event at the new club that's at uh, the coliseum at usc and then obviously the skills on tuesday so and then the game on wednesday 
and and there was concerts and activities and it was it was just a really really fun five days if you're a football fan you know and yes that 1800 event was amazing and it's just so much fun to be able to be around people again you know and I know that we've had opportunities to be around people because things have opened up but it's I feel like those soccer opportunities those football opportunities have not necessarily been as many you haven't had as many to do you know watch parties and bars and things like that and so to have this opportunity at a place like house of football which was amazing uh i was it was really hard for me to not walk away with a steven gerrard kit dude they had some really really sick liverpool stuff i had to i i was i gotta go back and pick it up but uh saturday's getting shot is a good follow too because they have pop-up games like pickup games around the city and it's free and people bring their kids and talk about it and then they just play football too so that's kind of how all that started I've been occasionally looking them up because they also have the OG kits and I have a few and then I had to stop collecting because my closet got cluttered but I just respect that aspect and just I think their models to, to say to always play free now that they have an actual venue to have people come and kind of respect maybe not worship but admire the game and then have the bar underneath i'm i'm glad you both were able to enjoy that event i was living through you both look yeah, the was... kid will be soon enough you know older that you'll be able to get a babysitter you'll be able to rejoin your life once again but uh soon my friend soon there's light at the end of the tunnel it's not soon enough bro no <laughs> but uh i love my kids um. <laughs> <laughs> on that note um the skills game challenge i think was the next thing i really wanted to talk about because i got a chance to attend uh um, what an interesting fun bizarre but kind of cool experience that was i love just watching guys going out there and attempting to do the same kind of bar game style play that we would do if we were out there on a pitch right like i don't feel like anything in the course of that skills challenge with the exception of making saves like a professional keeper or anything that any of us couldn't have done. I got a chance to go on the all-star recap episode of Defenders of the Bank yesterday. I encourage you guys to give that a listen. That was a lot of fun. But we kind of talked about what of any of those games would you like to have set up at Christmas Tree Lane so that you could have a chance to do. And I'm sort of instantly going to rule out crossbar challenge and keeper challenge because we could go grab a ball and do that right now if we really wanted to. But whether it was the passing challenge, the shooting drill, or the human ski ball, of all those events, which one would you love to see set up at Christmas Tree Lane? And just moreover, how cool did that all look? Oh, the human ski ball for sure is uh, probably, they actually had something like that on Wednesday before the match at the soccer event. I brought my sons and both of them were there and they just kept playing the ski ball the the life-size ski ball and there was another one where you kick the ball up on the side and it was like the you know the ones where you have as a kid where you shoot the ball up and then it like hits hits like the little uh tees on the way down and you try and make it into the basket i mean it was just great dude lots of fun yeah ski ball is the most fun uh although the passing game was pretty good in the shooting game but the ski ball is probably the most unique i don't think i've seen that in that big a version with professional players playing i think i hope that comes back because i think that that that's new some of the other ones i've seen before in previous all-star games but that was super cool and also i was thinking about like where are they going to store that or what does it become after (laughs) like (laughs) yeah it's it's kind of a one and done piece of equipment right it's all branded says mls all-star 2021 on it so i mean it's not like they could just 
well, maybe they could repaint it, reuse it elsewhere. I, I have no idea yeah. what the life of one of those things are, but I, I mean, look, if that were to hang out at the bank for a few matches, I'd be all right with that too. Yeah. They could paint it into black and gold and put it in the Christmas tree lane. Like you said, it might be end up there. So the back and forth, you know, MLS took an early lead. Liga MX All-Stars kind of came back. And by the time we got into the final competition, the crossbar competition, Liga MX had a slight lead. And it was this whole race to 25. And then MLS got to 25 first, but still didn't get to 25 in the right way by hitting the right crossbar from the right length. And, and ultimately, at a score of 25 to 25, Liga MX won, even though the score was tied. And they got a free bonus point from the fans to even tie it. I don't know. The whole scoring was very weird to me. It didn't seem like that one bonus point from the fans really played in a whole lot. But it was fun. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter who won the skills competition in the end. I I thought we had the advantage there late and it it ended up slipping away from us. But I would much rather take an L in the skills competition and a win in the actual game than the other way around. So, uh, But it it was fun. I do think they have a couple kinks they need to work out as far as you know, scoring and getting everyone on the same page. But, but it was a fun event. What do you guys think of the skills challenge as a whole? I liked it. And I'm happy that Mexico got to win something or something representing Mexico got to win something. So even if it was a tie that ended up being some sort of win, good for Mexico getting one win representing the league or the country. Yeah, it hasn't right. exactly been their summer, right? I think uh, between uh, what Gold Cup... Conca Champions, you know, or the Conca Calf. Nations League, yeah. And Nations League, excuse me, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, and then that's a, that would be the third big loss of the summer for Mexico, or, or as more poetically put by our friend LAFC Blake, that is L3 for L3, which I thought was rather amusing. Bro, Matt Turner is like Mexico's daddy right now. It, 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 it's, I couldn't believe, I mean, we'll get, obviously we're going to still recap the match itself, but to, the way it ended on penalties, oh man. I am, well, he looks I am like rocking my keeper kit right now in homage to Turner and the amazing performance that he put in, which was like five feet in front of me and fantastic to behold, but we'll, we'll dive into that in a sec, but man, he's dominated them. What a performance. So I guess why don't we, uh, let's go ahead and dive into the all-star game itself. So, you know, kind of pregame, we had the big soccer fest out front, which took our entire tailgating opportunity away from us. I didn't really find the soccer fest to be all that festive, personally. I mean, it seemed like a lot of the same stuff we've seen just spread out over a much larger area. And, um, and I go, look, MLS is going to MLS. Um, you know, a free scarf from Continental is always fun, but I think we've had that 10 or 15 times before now. Other than that, it was really just kind of a bunch of food trucks and a DJ. It wasn't quite as festive as I was hoping it to be. I, I don't know if you guys had a similarly lackluster experience to that whole fan fest, but it wasn't really doing it for me. I mean, I didn't. I agree. I think that for adults, it was definitely not that great. For my kids, though, they loved it. They had a great time. They didn't want to go anywhere. You know, all of the events to be to participate in. The people doing the the juggling tricks, being able to have meet and greets with former professional players, you know, it was very much geared for kids. And I think that it's definitely a uh, a bummer that they it was almost like a missed opportunity that they 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 could have had something a little bit better. But I think that concerns of COVID might have also weighed into how much they actually had. Or, you know, if you were to go to previous, like two all-star games ago, I don't think that 
that event would have been as underwhelming as this one. I didn't get a chance to go, so I'll go, I'll go with what you say. So that kind of brings us uh, into the stadium. The atmosphere pregame, there was quite a festive pregame celebration. I don't know, Christian, if you got to catch a lot of that on the broadcast, Chris. Uh, you know, you certainly saw it live as well, too. That was quite a production there with Hans Zimmer and the whole wheeling out of bands and lots of pyrotechnics. Uh, it was quite a production, which I couldn't hear over a helicopter that was sitting over the stadium for about an hour. But uh looked cool. No, it, it actually, it looked... I mean, I saw it from the opposite way that the letters were spelt, but it was it was definitely very entertaining. You know, the pitch had already been thrashed, which that was from the Guns N' Roses tournament, right? And I know that LAFC in their inaugural season, they had the LAFC letters with the fire coming out of it. And part of the reason why that was stopped was because it was doing damage to the pitch. So I'm not... When I saw all of the MLS All-Star letters coming out, all I could think was like, oh, man, there goes more damage to the already damaged pitch. So I wasn't I wasn't loving that. But at the same time, the show was good. My sons had a lot of fun. And uh, the flyby, the flyby was amazing. That was probably the best part, I think, of the uh, whole opening ceremony. I have to say, I, I loved Tina on cello. Uh, I'm a Sabaton fan, and she's done some work with that famous metal band in the past. She's been known as a big metalhead, and there's a pretty sweet version of Swedish Pagans out there with her playing cello on it with the whole band. And, you know, to see her in front of the bank rocking out the national anthems and the MLS anthem as well, too. Uh, I do think it was a little surprising that we had a Canadian national anthem. We had a United States national anthem but we had no Canadian national anthem. And then I stopped for a moment and I realized there weren't any Canadian players selected to the all-star team. I think the only one that was selected ended up not making it. So somehow we had three nations leagues represented, but yet only two nations players. So maybe that's why we didn't get a Canadian national anthem, but I would have thought as much as MLS still represents Canada, that the Canadian national anthem was sort of a bizarre omission uh, and as phenomenal a cellist as she is, any chance to get her to play another song would have been cool. But uh, both renditions of the Mexican National Anthem and uh, the United States Anthem were both really cool. Uh, she shreds. That was a pretty cool moment for me. The flyby was awesome. I had no idea it was coming. It was super low. And those helicopters were great. Uh, that was not the helicopter that was hovered over about the first hour of the game, which seemed to drown out a lot of the audio, which made it really difficult to listen to the music or hear exactly who was coming on and coming off the pitch, but the flyby was cool. You always like anytime you get a chance to see those, you know, somewhat gratuitous displays of military might as questionable as those decisions might be. It was, it was a cool thing to behold, you know, and see them come just a few feet over the top of the stadium was, was, was pretty cool. It looked great on TV, like the production value, the helicopters, it, it showed well. I think one thing that the U S does well is putting on a show. I think, the rest of the world understands that. And um, it, it, for a intra-country, intra-league competition like this All-Star game was, and hopefully for many more years to come, because it's probably one of my favorite All-Star games so far, it looked really cool. And I hope, you know, post-pandemic, becoming endemic, hopefully, and people handling their business, this could be a better show in other American cities. I think that... Uh... 
this definitely is going to be something that continues to trend. You know, I had heard some people talking about how in previous all-star matches, they were playing European teams and those European teams were probably never going to come back, right, to play in the all-star match. So it was like a one-time show. Whereas if you continue this trend with Liga Mekis and the MLS and you have their all-stars playing against each other, it creates a little bit of that rivalry. And it's something that the league can look forward to. And can you imagine if the all-star game ends up being played in Mexico somewhere one year, right? Like just all of that that could come out of this partnership. And I, I do think that based off of what I had heard at the launch event on Monday night, at the Coliseum, this is definitely something that Don Garber and the Liga Mekis president is looking to try and build. I think it would be really cool if this game took place in Azteca. I would be all for that at a time in which, you know, assuming that it's safe to do so and all of those things uh, at the onset. And as they're trying to continue to grow this particular competition, Growing it in Mexico seems to make sense. I don't know if you guys saw this, but the viewership on television for this game. So let's kind of frame this a little bit. If we go back just a few years ago to 2015, in 2015, not that long ago, just prior to the onset of LAFC in this league, the All-Star game had 548,000 U.S. televisions and had 285,000 televisions in Mexico tuned into the game. So 2015, 550 basically in the U.S. thousand and almost 300 in Mexico. Fast forward to this game in 2021, and it's a very interesting development. United States televisions went from 550,000 viewers just a handful of years ago to just 175,000 views with it being a Wednesday night. However, in Mexico, just a few years back, short of 300,000. This game had 1.4 million televisions in Mexico tuned into the game. So if I'm a league and I'm looking at marketing and I'm looking at the United States audience going from a little over half a million to a little under 200,000, and I'm seeing the Mexican viewership going from half a million to one and a half million, uh, I think we can kind of see that this game might end up taking place in Mexico, and that is the logical thing to do. It's pretty interesting. I love the fact that the viewership from Mexico alone totally trumps. You know, I, I'd be interested actually to see what 2019's All Star match when uh, it was in Orlando, what that looked like, and what so those in numbers were. 2019, they had 182,000 televisions in the United States and 626,000 in Mexico. So in just two years, Mexico has more than doubled their viewership of this game. Obviously having Liga MX take place, I think is a big portion of that. However, virtually the exact same number of viewers two years ago for the United States. You know, I also think that it's because the all-star game has not been entertaining. A lot of times the MLS all-stars they don't play 
the best, you know, the, the idea that you're going to have several substitutions throughout the game so that every all-star gets an opportunity to play, which they rightfully should is going to create inconsistencies in the play. You're also taking all these players that may have never played with anyone on the all-star roster. So there's all of these things that have to work through that make it hard when you're playing against a professional European club that plays together every day, you know, all year long. MLS all-stars didn't always perform very well. But now you look at it and, and you've now even the field, you are taking more of a local product from Mexico and you are cultivating those two arenas. I think that next year, if we were to have the Liga MX versus the MLS, I think that you were going to see an increase in American viewers just based on the fact that the MLS won. Yeah, I mean, obviously, viewership being static between 2019 and 21 doesn't bode well for the domestic game. But I think this change in format absolutely does. And I think people were completely burned out and the numbers indicated that. I'm surprised there wasn't more viewership, but I think having it on a Wednesday, which I'm still frustrated with, especially because I was recording with Defenders until almost three o'clock in the morning last night uh, on a Wednesday, which was was not exactly ideal. I just don't understand why we can't have an all-star weekend. But I'll leave that grievance as it is. And why don't we go ahead and dive into the game itself? It was not very long into the first half in which we had our first chance for an LAFC player to shine. A pass intended to go front left takes a deflection and lands at the very seemingly capable feet of one Diego Rossi, who chips a keeper in Ochoa that there is certainly no love lost between the LAFC community. And, and just as it's about to roll in, cleared off line, the line. That goal line clearance, bro, was... I couldn't believe it. That was that was something that was we just you were just shocked. And then they played, and I thought to myself, "There's no way he cleared that right." Like I was like, "That had to have gone in." And then when you watch the replay inside the stadium, you see that it was a clearance. And you at that point, you just have to like cheer for the amount of effort that that defender had put in to go back and make that clearance. And I mean, it was that was probably one of the best defensive plays that I've seen live ever. That's off to uh, to Jorge Sanchez who made that particular clearance. You could tell from that single moment that. They were invested, right? That clearly drew a line for the rest of the game that said, we're going to play with this level of intensity. We really care about these results. It was a, a really impressive thing. I'm sorry, Christian. I think I, I stepped on your toes there, brother. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say it was very athletic. Just you know, the awareness of how he had to approach the ball and to kind of scoop it out last second because he could have very easily miscalculated and either kicked it in or missed it. And it was at speed. That chip was not... Although it was delicate, it wasn't a soft chip. So it was very impressive. You know, and the the interesting thing about Diego Rossi also was that the initial starting 11 did not have Diego in it. I was curious. Partially uh, through the warmups, I saw that Diego was warming up with the starting 11 and I counted an additional player there. So I was figuring that Diego was just there in case somebody pulled up or had an, an injury in, in the warmups and he was there to be the, the one to, to replace. But then Diego made the starting 11, which I was happy to see because, you know, I thought that that having, I thought that Diego was definitely a player that had earned to be in the starting 11. And it was good. I, I he, he played a lot of minutes. I thought that he played well. It would have been better if he would have been able to put that in the back of the net. And then all three of the LAFC players would have been on the score sheet. But uh, still, it was a very, I felt like Diego Rossi played very well. And obviously I think that Moody played very well and 
Atuesta played the worst of the three, in my opinion. But not that still didn't mean that he played poorly. I just feel like he didn't play as well as Moody or Diego, and especially that uh, penalty shot that was blocked at the end didn't yeah. help. I'll save my comments when we get to that. The penalties aside, Atuesta had a great assist on that corner. He had a couple really slick-looking plays out there. He didn't look the bad on the pitch. Obviously, once we get to PKs, it got a little frustrating. I think he had a beautiful like one touch side of the foot pass off to the right. Although I went to a Carson player, but you know, just watching a Twesta pass to Carson players, I don't know. There's, there's something about that. That's always going to feel a little sticky, but you know, like I, I don't think he performed all, all that poorly. Uh, obviously coming off of Jorge Sanchez's goal line clearance, you know, you fast forward about 15 minutes and he's the one throwing in that amazing cross to, um, was it Jonathan Rodriguez um, from Cruz Azul who ends up netting the first goal of the game, which as disappointing as it was to see Liga MX score, my hopes got up because it was a Cruz Azul player that scored that first goal. And I knew in that moment we had ourselves an Azulero that was about to take place. And that meant that the MLS was going to come back and win. So I was feeling hopeful about that being the player that scored. Funny. Yeah. Was it a Cruz Azulada? Meaning... They're going to choke somehow, although they broke the curse finally. But still, it's just in the culture, unfortunately, for the history of that club. So him scoring, that's funny that that's the first thought that came to mind. <laughs> Mostly it's because there was a Cruz Azul fan sitting directly to my right at this point in time. So he was like, yes, Cruz Azul scored. And I was like, buddy, you know what this means? And he was not particularly happy with my take in that matter. But we remained civil from that point on. The rest of the first half plays out fairly uneventful. We get into the second half. We start seeing a lot of changes. Of course, Murray stays in amongst all those changes. We see Atuesta come in. Shortly thereafter, we have that beautiful opportunity comes forward. Liga Mekis is able to clear it out for a corner. And before the TV cameras can even respond, Atuesta, Murray, what do you know? Murray getting forward and putting headers on balls. Who'd have thought that that would ever be a thing? But uh, fantastic to see, I think, this has got every LAFC fan clamoring for him to get forward on corners and set pieces more often, but that was a beautiful header. He was complete from the waist up above the closest defender next to him. There was no stopping it, but a beautiful goal. I think I've watched it about 500 times on replay by now. Just hoping we get to see some more of that going forward. He made solid contact. It was good delivery too. And I think he, he made that near post run really well and then was able to connect and give it the right direction. Keeper had no chance, really. And then I think any defender that was next to him, he he juked him and got to his spot first. And like I said, Atuesta put put that ball on a dime. So I'm hoping that gives that them to some sort of connection or understanding for this weekend's match and the rest of the season. Gives him confidence. He got to go to the corner and give a little shimmy in front of the 3252 which was really cool. And then I also like the fact that, you know, both goals happened in front of 32-2 because they, they did a good job of kind of maintaining the atmosphere in that match. Well, I mean, I suppose we should touch on that for a second because I think everyone was very surprised when we got into the stadium, into the North End, and found two things that really put a damper on the active support. One, that they were not able to regulate the amount of Liga Emekis fans coming into the North End. And, you know, and it was probably 30, 40% of the North End that were Liga Emekis fans, which is not how I would have drafted it on paper or how I thought it was going to go down. 
And then even more depressingly, we looked to the field and all three of our capo stands are not there. So a decision was made right before the start of the game that with no capo stands, with a ton of Liga MX fans in the North End, it was going to be really challenging for the 3252 to do what they normally do. And so they went ahead and just said, okay, guys, sit back. Let's just watch this game and, you know, we'll go get them at Carson. And we were able to stomach being quiet for about 40 minutes until some brave soul, and I, I still don't know who it was, but hats off to this person. About the 40th minute, Diego Rossi had an opportunity, and someone just started singing the Diego Rossi chant, and all of a sudden it took off in the north end. I think we realized a lot of people that were wearing those Liga Mekis kits were actually LAFC fans. They just happened to have shown up in their Liga Mekis kit that day, and we realized some active support might be possible. Hats off to people like Cassie and Julio that managed to find a drum for the second half and get it going. And Chicoline, who got up there on, on the rails and just treated it like a capo stand. And by that second half, we had some really fun, active support going. It's a little different than we normally see from the North End because we paused and allowed the other team and had a bit of back and forth and some retort that was fun, may have may have ruffled a few tempers throughout uh, the League Amekis fans that are out there, which may have spilled over into some of the drama that took place later in the second half and after the game. But just from an atmosphere standpoint, from an enjoyability standpoint of the game of football, I thought it was so much better once the 32-52 got their voice. And of course, it was during our first chorus of Somos del Barrio Angelino that we get a twisted to Murray and that goal goes in. So, you know, 32-52 lit a fire under that game that was much needed and was much more entertaining for all of us from that point on. I had a friend of mine who was an Austin supporter, and he had come to the Austin match against LASC, the first game of the season, and there was only the 500, 32, 52 members. And so that was his whole experience that he had had. And even though in the environment when the stadium was fairly empty and we had the 10% capacity with the 500, he still felt that the 3252 were electric. And that was his impression because he'd never been at the bank and seen it. Right. And, and so then when that happened in the all-star game, I mean, he was just shocked. He was just shocked at the amount of active support that that was there. And the fact that you had these people that were in the North end that were, you know, still there cheering and chanting for LAFC, regardless of the fact that it wasn't just LAFC players that were on the pitch and that and you were just cheering and chanting. And it was it was just an amazing experience. It was a lot of fun when the call to arms came out and you saw the people with their cell phones all throughout the stadium and things like that. And it was it was just a really joyful moment. And it, it was something that uh, my my guests enjoyed. I enjoyed my kids enjoyed. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we finally had a soccer celebration to use uh, MLS's term for this particular event. Uh, that was really after the Murray goal, the highlight of the second half. I thought there were some chances traded back and forth, but ultimately no one found the back of the net. And I have to admit, the game ended and I thought, well, it was a tie. That was fun for everyone. And I had uh, packed up and was getting ready to head out of the North End when the person next to me goes, hey, man, you're not going to stay for PKs? And I was like, wait, we get PKs? I, I had no idea that the game wasn't going to end in a tie, so I, I will willingly admit my own ignorance there. But then got to stay for PKs, which was absolutely one of the best moments I've had at the bank. That was just pure fun. Turner put on a show for the North End. I have never, ever in my life seen a player from a different MLS team get cheered the way Turner was getting cheered by the North End. 
His name was getting called out personally. I was to the side of the goal where he would come in between each PK and he was having little moments with the fans. It was pretty cool. And after he came up with that third and final big stop, he kind of dives out to his left, stops the ball, gets up, does the machismo kind of like, yeah, I think. And he looked right over to the stands right at me because I had been cheering for him for the past couple stops. And we had a moment, time kind of froze. We locked eyes for a moment and, uh, you know, it was uh, it was beautiful. You know, our, our souls shared a moment there um, wow. and it was uh, it was deep. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm fully in on the uh, the bring Turner to LAFC movement now. Sorry, Monsieur's Romero y Cisniega, but um, he is such a beast. That guy is so good. I can't wait to see him in the World Cup for the red, white and blue. And, you know, maybe yeah, someday he... in the future it could work out. Uh, but I'm all in the marching and chowder society to get him over here to LAFC. That was an amazing set of PKs. Yeah, he was just called up for the uh, World Cup qualifying rosters. So he's definitely going to be seeing more. And it's crazy about Matt Turner because he had not started playing soccer until he was like a senior in high school or something like that like it was yeah I think he was a basketball player and then he just started playing goalie and it's you know just skyrocketed from there yeah he was in their head I I just liked I think he saw some of the players and did their approach in the skills challenge and took that personally and brought it to that moment I'm glad he was in goal and I think the form he's in he can definitely make a run and take uh, Stefan Stefan's job as a number one because he's a hot hand. And I, if I were the U.S. men's national team manager, I'd, I'd consider him being the starter at this point, to be honest well, with you. You, you got to think about it, though. Ethan Horvath is the third goalkeeper that was called up to that roster. And Ethan Horvath had the great penalty kick save for the Nations League, right? And so, it's, I mean, I'm not to, not to say that Matt Turner doesn't have the hot hand, but it's not like Ethan Horvath is someone that you can just dismiss either. I mean, he, I think has just as much to say about getting that starting spot for the U S team. So it's, it'll be an interesting men's national team camp and we'll see how the rosters take place, but it is going to be hard to dethrone Zach Steffen. It's going to be hard to dethrone him. I I think, you know, Burhalter's got his work cut out for him. Those are three sensational keepers and he's going to have to figure out how to put between the pipes there, but I don't think the United States is going to be, at a loss, no matter who they put in there. And it's been a very long time since we could speak to that kind of depth uh, on a U.S. men's national team. But uh, moving back to this to this MLS game here in these PKs, we've glanced over what was kind of a black eye for the LAFC fans and what was just not a good pen from Atuesta. No pace, didn't have it placed anywhere, didn't look particularly confident walking up to it. You know, and if it weren't for Nani hitting a ball out into the concourse, people might still be talking about uh, Twesta and, and not looking good on that pen. Obviously, Turner stepped up and it didn't really matter in the long run. MLS still came away with it, but you know, his I don't think a Twesta has scored on a free kick yet this year, except for maybe that, that one that went under the wall early in the season. But we haven't seen a, a traditional free kick from a Twesta go in in a very long time. To see him step up to that PK and execute it in the manner he did, gosh, that just um, that was the one black eye on the evening for me. I think he was overconfident, to be honest with you. Like, he was trying to be too cute, trying to – he was expecting the keeper to move, and that's an experienced keeper. And if you really think about it, there was two players, one in Liga MX and one in MLS, that went down the middle. So I think he wasn't going to move until there was contact with the ball after that one shot that he experienced. And Atuesta didn't put it anywhere really out of range from the middle. 
and uh, the approach was too overconfident and too cute. And I just think he was too in his head. I think he was overthinking it instead of picking a spot and just putting it there and forcing the keeper to make a real save versus just standing there and putting his arms out. But as it was, MLS takes the lead in PKs. We're able to convert our final PK by Pepe, which was an absolute screamer. Kid is, what, 19 years old, 18 years old. I mean, to be able to step up with that kind of confidence, doesn't even look at the keeper, just roofs it top left, and we're champions. Turner, a deserved MVP for his performance in those PKs, and was about to put a nice rosy bow on the entire All-Star experience. And then, of course, we have the what have you that took place outside the stadium from a couple supporters groups that are some usual suspects in starting violence within the LA community. Disappointing to see an event like this get, I hate to use the word tarnished, but to see it take that particular turn was disappointing. The fact that law enforcement involved couldn't seem to rally things and keep them hospitable. That was all a disappointing end to what was otherwise a really, really fun week. And, uh, Certainly has us cautious going into this weekend's derby and, you know, hopes that uh, everything is going to take place in a manner where uh, people don't get hurt because no one wants to see anyone get hurt. You know, people that want to do that sort of thing, they can go do that somewhere else. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of opportunity for people who feel the need to treat their football fandom that way to find a place to do it outside of our streets and stadium grounds and after games. But without that, there was one other moment in the course of this all-star game that I think was a bit of a gut punch to all of us within the LAFC community. Now we know Vela's contract is up at the end of the season and he certainly hasn't said I'm out a hundred percent, but when asked about playing in Europe, he expressed his desire to go back to Europe and certainly intimated that a return to LAFC was unlikely. And that that hurts because Vela has been the cornerstone of this franchise, but he's getting on in years. His contract is up. We haven't signed him to an extension. And I think all of us in the LAFC community can probably see the writing on the wall there. But to hear it from the man's mouth for the first time was a bit of a gut punch. And just kind of wanted your guys' instant reaction to the imminent departure of Vela. So I know my Spanish is not great, but... I didn't think that he had really said that. And I had asked somebody that I had worked with uh, to, to ha- listen to it and translate it. And I felt like the question to Carlos was, you know, do you miss playing in Europe? Right. Like, do you, and it's like, yeah, that he, you know, does miss playing in Europe. And that, and the question was, is there, but it was just that, hey, I'm watching, I'm still here with LAFC and I'm going to f- focus on the team here. But they're like, is there any chance that you could? And he goes, perhaps. But that's not to say that he is saying that he is going to go back to Europe and that he is leaving the club. I just think that he, there's no contract in place for him after this season. And of course, you know, if you can continue to play in Europe, that might be a, a, a nice opportunity. But we also have to think about his form in the last 18 months. I mean, he's been hurt a lot. He hasn't scored a lot of goals. He hasn't had that season like he did in 2019, and he's getting older. You know, I'm not saying that he can't still play in Europe, but what team would take him? You know, it's almost like I'm going to take you because of what I think that you can do. And (laughs) for those of you that 
are listening, uh, Jonathan brings up his Arsenal ball. I think you know, he'd be I, welcome back at Arsenal at this point. We could use all the help we could get. Yeah, look, I don't know, given the financial constraints placed around an MLS roster, if spending north of $5 million, which is what it would take to get Vela to come back, is the best usage of what is going to be our most expensive DP slot. I also don't think going and getting the unproven young talent is the best usage of your most expensive DP slot. But someone who is... And look, you can't argue Vela's productivity. I mean, he's got an MVP and a golden boot, but, you know, you mentioned it this year and, and, you know, since the end of CCL, we haven't really seen a whole lot from Vela. The injuries have been piling up this year. And is that money better spent? That's a very tall task laid at JT's feet. And uh, I don't envy him going into that decision-making. Yeah, the way I understood the comments were asking whether or not he missed Europe, whether it was a possibility, he said yes. But I think he also mentioned that returning was a possibility so he's always honest with his answers um even when he's asked about the mexican national team he'll say i haven't no one's called me about going you know i'm I'm open to go or when he's not and he said i'm focused on my club like he's similar to bob where usually is honest and people interpret things in their own way but i think he's really hopefully in my mind he's trying to get healthy and perform well because i've seen him get frustrated at times I would need him to focus on that I think the money will come and he'll get to choose where he wants to go because LAFC will make an offer I'm sure teams and Liga Mekis are going to make an offer I'd say kind of second tier European clubs will probably make an offer as well I mean Barcelona a year or two ago were asking for him obviously they're in crazy financial trouble that 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 club can't approach him but I'm sure that there are other teams in Spain that would love to have them. So I think we'll be talking about this, especially the team isn't performing well. I think there's going to be more heat around this question and questioning whether or not he's going to stay and what the stability of the club from Carlos Vela perspective will be in the near future. I could see him playing in Italy next year. I could see him playing anywhere in the Iberian Peninsula next year. I think those are all options. I just don't know at this point. It doesn't feel to me like the LAFC reunion is going to happen. I think a two-year extension would have been signed at this point with the intent for him to play a year and then either sell him or have him finish out his career with us. But we'll see. I don't think he's going to take allocation money, right? I don't think he's going to take that kind of contract to stay. I don't know if that's the best business from a club standpoint to use your allocation money that way. I just, I I don't know. I just think maybe the finances of MLS are are going to keep him from having his swan song with us. But we have one last topic I wanted to touch on before we get into our interview with El Bailador. I just uh, really want to kind of touch on next week's Darby, what you guys are feeling going into the Clásica. Do you guys have the kind of optimism that we've had in previous episodes of this show? Or are you thinking we're going to get blown out like many of the dark voices within the netherworlds of the LAFC Twitterverse might feel? It's uh, I think it's going to be a 3-2 win. That's what I would predict. Still banking on the three goals. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's going to be tight. Uh, I think the two teams are in different moments. I think they're trending upwards and we're we're kind of stuck in the mud. This is an opportunity to turn the season around. It's just beyond the midpoint and still within striking distance to get into the playoffs and have a good run and get fit and get hot going into October, November. There is a possibility that it can go the opposite way and the season can go downward. So it, it'll be a moment of being a catalyst for either change or maintaining this, this run of form. I think that LAFC is going to turn it around. I'm confident. I've, you know, 
Uh, I know that we've had a, a bad run of form, but I do think that LAFC is going to make the changes that they need, especially on the Derby. Everything is heightened and elevated, and the importance of this match could not be overstated. I think that LAFC is going to come out and give it everything and that anything that has been a distraction or a just anything that has been taking them away from giving the game plan that Bob implements, working on it and actually fulfilling what is being set out. I really think that this is the game that everything is going to change. And this will be a the beginning of us making our run to the playoffs and getting hot when we need to get hot. All right. So speaking of hot, I got a hot take. LAFC is not going to score three goals in this game. We're scoring four. I don't think we're scoring oh, four. We're scoring I four. Say, I don't think I don't think that's a hot take, bro. Nobody's nobody haven't scored three all season. Um, I think put it's the money in Vegas. Come on. Four two. Four two is what I think the final score is going to be. I think we're going to get a six goal thriller. I think we have been so close with so many chances in so many games that it is just high time that we finally get to see the floodgates open. I think this is the game in which the energy, the mentality, the attitude of the team is going to be up for it. And I just think the floodgates are going to open and we're going to see a four goal outpouring. I think this is going to be a moment in which the fans kind of get to take a deep breath and say, okay, you know, everything is not on fire. It's not as bad as we thought it was. And that'll hopefully regroup as we make a playoff push and, and try and book, uh, you know, one of those final few spots in the playoffs. And then who knows what? I don't think any of us view our team as a cup contender this year. I think Seattle, New England, I mean, uh, a Revolution Sounders final is looking more and more imminent the more we move along. But you never know. Anything can happen. A chip in a chair, right? You get into that dance and, and you never know who could come out on top. But I think this is going to be our high water mark. I think we're going to give it to Carson. Uh, we might even stumble in the game after that versus SKC, but it won't matter because we'll have trounced upon Carson so soundly that uh, it won't matter. And, and this will wash away some of the bad vibes in the community. So that's what I'm praying for. All right, boys, uh, any final thoughts before we head into our interview today? Yeah, actually, uh, one final thing that I just, I just remembered about the All-Star game at the very end, uh, the Walker Zimmerman fist pump. You know what? That was a really cool moment for us to have for Walker to be, you know, the, the the kind of individual that he is to take the time out to do a sentimental gesture that we had with him for his time here at LAFC. I thought that was really cool. That was a very, very big moment. And thank you for reminding us all of that. Hats off to Rich and whoever else, Pat, I think that convinced him to come over and do it. And you could see he was trying to say MLS, but he gave the fourth punch as he was doing it. Um, perhaps a mistake out of muscle memory or maybe in his mind he was thinking Nashville FC. But it, uh, it, it came out as LAFC in the stands. And as he walked back and forth and showed love to, to the entire North End, there was nothing but wonderful things said to him as he passed by, unlike we saw with Tyler Miller and, and some other LAFC returns to the bank. So it was nice to see that everybody was appreciative of him and he would be welcomed back with open arms. I know he's played a very big role for Nashville and he's their Diego Rossi. He scored their first goal. He's been a defender of the year for them and, and a cornerstone for their franchise. But if he were to ever find his way back to the black and gold, he would be welcomed with open arms. But it was just nice to see the faithful embracing him in his return and 
And he was so gracious in allowing us that one little moment, which I agree. That was beautiful. Thank you for not letting us forget that moment. But with that, I think we'd like to go ahead and transition to the interview portion of the show. Joining us this week as our guest, you know him for his many moves. You recognize him from his killer dancing he does on LAFC fans and, of course, on his various social medias after every win. We are joined by none other than El Bailador himself. Today, we have Chris, our dear friend, current owner of FC Mani and diehard LAFC fan, Sky Sports contributor, amongst many, many other things. Sir, welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here today. You are our first guest that we've interviewed twice. Oh, man, am I not lucky? (laughs) (laughs) You're the first one to to come back and give all of our listeners an update. And for those of you that want to go back and listen to that first interview with our guest, Chris, you can go back and on listen back where you get any of your podcast listening and just look up the episode of Chris Cater, El Balador. That would be episode 24 for all of you out there, which debuted on June the 19th of 2019. So much of your backstory we sort of covered on that original show. There's definitely some holes we want to go back and fill in. But I would say first and foremost, why don't you just go ahead and update us on how has your life changed in the past two years? Well, my life has changed in many ways. Moved from California to Houston, where I live now. You know, a lot, a lot of good things have happened. I'm not going to lie. I'm happy. I'm majority owner of a soccer club now, a semi-pro team, UPSL. It's called a Money FC Money. And, and I think basically that's the basic new thing in my life. Everything is the same. <laughs> well, that is huge news. So yeah. why don't you take us through how it is you move to Houston and buy a football team, something I think everyone who listens to this pod dreams at night of being able to do. And you, sir, are the owner of an American football team. So obviously not American football. No, we don't talk about oblong ball on this show, but a football team here in America. Take us through how you found out about the team, how you went about acquiring it. Tell us a little bit about your club, your players, your crest, and uh, what you're looking forward to in, in the next season with them. Okay, well, right now, this is our first season. It's still, um, we're trying to put things together. First of all, um, earlier this year, I went to Africa. I did like a talent hunting um, um, tournament called the Cadence Cup in Africa and Nigeria. It's going to be done every year. And the idea for that tournament is for players to be able to showcase themselves and their talent so people can see them. Because I'm a big fan of no matter how good you are, if nobody's seeing you, you're never going to go anywhere. So exposure is always the key to any major development, especially when it comes to grassroots, so that people can see these players and, you know, then you can not have a feel of where they can play and how they can play and what kind of style of formation, depending on the club philosophy, that they can fit into, basically. You know, so that went, after that, I did that and I came back. I'm trying to, I'm working on this team for a year and a half now. I finally got it this year, which I was very excited, you know. It's uh, also like a springboard. The reason why I bought a team was I wanted, I just wanted to be a professional soccer player, but, you know, fate had it that, you know, it didn't work as planned as I wanted it to be. But I've always loved the game and I want to still remain in the game, you know, from the administrative point of view. And I also believe that, you know, I know coming growing up in Africa, a lot of obstacles I faced, which a lot of people, you know, with talents cannot really. Um, get the right exposure to get the contract they really deserve. You know, I know how that feels. I know the pain to go through when, you know, you're so good, but yet nobody cares about you or you don't have the right mentorship 
to channel you or show you the pathway to professional soccer. That's, that's why I got the club to try, you know, my way of giving back, you know, by exposing this amateur players, some African from very tender age, that's the plan. So basically the plan is to groom players very young, prepare them for professional soccer, and eventually, you know, sign them up to professional soccer teams all over the world. That's fantastic. I, I like the jacket you're wearing. I think that's the FC Mani crest. For those that are listening, can you describe what's yeah. on the crest? Yeah, this is not, it's not FC Mani crest. It's one of the sponsors. It's a clothing line, one of my sponsors for the club. It's called Asaya Zoe. It's um, one of the official clothing lines that's going to be selling the FC managers is when it's available in another three weeks. Oh, so you already have sponsors. So you have revenues coming in. Yeah. Uh, also, the biggest sponsor will be announced soon. It's going to have this big crest on the jersey. It's in-house information. Nobody should know this. Why am I even saying this right now? I don't know. You, you're you telling us. <laughs> We're asking the questions. You could say that. Oh, well, you guys are you know, twisting it out of my mouth. It's not supposed to be said <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> good that you're giving back in the in a way that you you <laughs> wanted to be seen and understood growing up yeah. so uh, it sounds like the goal is to identify those players that have potential and bring them over to your club and I imagine this is in the Houston area now there's what three clubs in Texas that could potentially come watch these players and then the rest of the league if uh, yeah. they catch wind of the club doing well yeah also Houston Dynamo's academy team are also in my league as well too so it's a good exposure for the players because then you're playing against Dynamo's like their CB team. If you can perform, who knows? You might get a call up from one of the coaches like, you know, this guy beat me the other day. You know, that's the kind of exposure I want to get these guys ready for. And we also have like a management team already, you know, preparing them for the future because another problem that soccer players have is um, a lot of them don't understand how to, you know, invest their money. That's why the statistics says out of every five soccer players, four go broke. After, their, after five years of their career, only one is left. So I'm also working in conjunction with a financial advisor company that's also going to like, you know, prepare these boys when they are ready on how to take at least 10 or 15% away from their gross income and invest it in a way that even while they're retired, they can fall back on something to that leave their future. Being a Nigerian and an owner of a football club here in the United States, we know with uh, the Kettle Cup, you, you do work back over in Africa, but what are your plans for using this position to elevate black voices or Nigerian voices or, or them within the world of football through this new team that you've acquired? Well, if you really know me, I think my mentality, I'm pretty a very fair person. So when it comes to performance and when it comes to talent, I think talent or performance have no race or color in it. It's what you can show. So basically, it's more like it doesn't matter whether you're black, you're white or brown. Is If you can perform, you have the talent, we will take you to the next level. But if you don't have it, it's, there's no back door. There's no shortcut to success. So that's, that's the philosophy and the mentality of this team. You know, So it's about getting results and genuinely getting talent without being sentimental about it. Basically. So can you take us a little bit into the Cutter Cup, how it works, how teams get involved and what your role in all of that is? Yeah, the Cutter's Cup was just my launching of what I plan to do, because what I plan to do is I'm still working with some other agents all over in Europe. I'm still in talks. It's not finalized yet. But the idea of the Cutter's Tournament that I'm going to do every year is to discover at least two or three grassroots soccer players and expose them to professional soccer players in Europe. That's the idea. You know, the first edition came out well, working with some players. But, you know, but the major goal going forward is 
at least in the next five years, the Kados Cup Foundation or tournament should at least produce like two or three players on the 21 or on the, on the 17 basis in the next three to five years. I think that's a really brilliant idea. When it comes to bringing up young talent, of course, the Houston Dynamo are a franchise that has been known for their ability to farm and scout talent. You have worked with them recently as part of their media team. Is there anything from those experiences that you can draw from that has helped you going to become a better player creator going forward? Yeah, um, basically, I'm that kind of person that I, I learn very fast and I learn from my environment. You know, I'm that kind of person that wherever I go, I might be looking straight where I'm observing everything, I'm very observant, you know, and I try to pick up the best way to make the next day better. You know, I take life one day at a time. At the same time, when I wake up the next day, my mindset is, how, what can I do better than I didn't do yesterday? You know, so when it comes to getting talent or having talent, it's it's a gradual process. It's a, It goes in stages. You know, so that's why I don't expect anything. I'm not expecting magic from my boys. I'm getting right now we're working with some boys already. We're expecting some more before we finally announce our team for the season. Is that you know, there's no pressure, there's no rush. Just be yourself, do the best you can. You know, the project is a long term project. You know, some players don't do well in tryouts, but at the end of the day, when you give the opportunity, they do better than those that do 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 better in tryouts. You know, so it's, it's quite complicated. Some players are like flash on the pan, show you all the qualities. The next thing they dry off, the person they expect comes in and becomes better. So it's more of giving opportunity and, you know, working with a strategy and a plan, you know, which we already have already. And let's just see how it takes us to the next level. So if you find a player in Europe or in Africa that you want them to come and play for your team, I mean, what is the process of actually getting them over here? You know, I would have to think that there's a lot of hoops that have to be jumped through in order yeah. to get a player to come over. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of hoops, definitely. But you understand that when you're working with an exceptional person, an exceptional player, exception rules are given to those kind of people as well, too, when it comes. Like Latif, Latif came on straight from Ghana. He never played anywhere before, you know. So, but because he was exceptional, that's why I was given the opportunity to come away straight up from Ghana and come and play here. It doesn't happen all the time. But if you're exceptional, then there can also be ways to go about it. And mind you, the, the team is not just about US, it's also I'm also working with teams in Europe, mostly Turkey. I have a lot of I have a strong connections in Turkey. So it's not just about just America, it's more more of Europe for now, depending when we now start bringing them. Um, Thing as for the team, yeah. So the media that you're doing too, you know, I, I, a lot of the, uh, we've been seeing some of the media and how you're asking questions and doing interviews and things like that. And is that because of your YouTube channel, Football with Chris? Is that what vehicle you're using to get access and, and utilize the media? Yes, that's for my YouTube channel, basically. Yeah. And so, and how's that going? You know, I remember when you were here in LA and you had debuted Football with Chris, your idea was to have it be because you were, you wanted to start with what you were doing with sky sports but then you wanted to do something here local for america right and so is that still what football with chris is all about yeah it is it's still the same plan but you know sometimes when you plan stuff it doesn't go exactly as you plan to the best way to be able to be successful is you have to be able to adapt to situations that come around you right why you're adapting somehow it leads you to where you're definitely destined to get to so football with chris is still there as ever you know and the way I'm going about it is the same way as I've always had that plan, you know, but it's not really gotten as big as I want it to be. But I know in the future, it, it will get as growing. You know, nothing good comes easy. You have to pay your dues. You have to be patient, you know. So I'm still in the patient phase and, you know, and I know 
it takes time. But eventually, I know we get to the standard I wanted to get to. And speaking about the Sky Sports, how's that going on? Huh? They're still asking you. They're coming. You're coming on a regular for Sky Sports, talking about Leicester City. Yeah, that's the on. That's the on. We just played like two games already this season. I was supposed to be in the first opening game, but because of um, I was a little bit busy. I couldn't make it. You know, but hopefully in the third game, I'll definitely be. I will be. I will be speaking like. <laughs> What time do you wake up for those interviews, Chris? It depends on what time the game plays, because sometimes the game starts at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, it's only, only the early games start at 7, 6. But before the game, um, why it works is before you come on, they let you know you're going to come on. So, you know, you get prepared for, you know, at least on, at two or three hours, or even the day before you're going to come on. So you get prepared yourself before the time comes on. So if I know I'm coming on early, I try to sleep and wake up early so I can get at least 30 minutes preparation before I go live on, on TV. Is Lester finishing higher than Arsenal? Wait, Chris, what TV do you watch, though? Honestly. What? What, what sports TV channel do you watch? What do you mean? I watch a lot of them. What do you mean? How can you compare Lester, Lester to Arsenal? Arsenal is the worst club. I mean, I'm, I'm poking fun <laughs> at Jonathan. They had a fluke 6 nil victory the other day. Arsenal is not... You can't compare Arsenal to Leicester yeah. right now. Hey, Le- John- Jonathan's an Arsenal fan. That's so. what I'm doing. I know. Oh, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it is turning around I for Arsenal. I saw a, a poster, right? They said they put the Ghana team that went 50 games on beating them Beckham, Henry, Vieira, Wilton, that whole squad, right? Van der Sar- and the under they put the new boys. They're like the first one was the Gunners. Under they put on oh, no gone man. <laughs> It's rough, you know, ever since uh, that upstart club, Leicester, had everybody tank against them and stole that Prem Championship from Arsenal. It's been uh, it's been rough going. But, uh, you know, if teams that had just played their A squads against Leicester that year, who knows? Might have been a different story. Well, who knows? But we know now. That's what matters. (laughs) We don't need to know. (laughs) So you're going to be but you are going to be able to come for the Galaxy game Saturday. Yeah. Uh, what uh, what are you looking forward to for the Galaxy game? What do you what, you know? What's what's your prediction? What are you hoping to see? You know. Okay. Well, my my prediction with the Galaxy game is going to be a little bit tight because I want to ask you to win. But if we understand the the way the two teams have played this season, Galaxy has a better team and a better advantage against the LAFC team. It's sad to say this, but it's, it's just it's just true, you know. And as I'm saying that, I don't know why we keep on bringing in. Every every game day, we bring in two or three new players into the team. You know that also has been a hindrance to the productivity of the team because in, t- in a team, you need proper communication. Proper communication comes with years and time of practicing together as a team. When you practice as a team and to play today to next next team, the next game a different set of players again, a different set of players again. The team loses cohesion, and that causes disorganization. You can win like that, you know. I think that that has been Bob's major problem this season. But I hope we win because we go lost seven straight games. Making it eight is going to be disastrous for not just the team but the fans as well. Because we're all broken-hearted when we see your team. Nobody wants to see his team lose. Not like the way he's losing straight seven straight games. That's crazy. You know what I mean? I don't think we've lost seven straight, but we don't have a win in seven games. It's definitely not good. It's sad, though, but, you know, let's see how it goes. Hopefully tomorrow, but right now, Galaxy have a good team. But I'll give it to – who knows? We can upset them 2-1, though. 
to one. Latif, two goals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Starman. It's, it's going to be an interesting game. And I think that there's already bad blood, especially after the fight that had broken out mm-hmm. on the All-Star game involving the Galaxy and LAFC. And I think that it's the tempers are already flared before this weekend's match. So it's it's going to be interesting, you know. And and if LAFC comes out and, and lays an egg at a home in front of our home fans, it's it's going to be heard, and it it's not going to it's not going to be good. Uh, and I know that there are going to be significantly more Carson supporters here than we would typically see, as each club has mutually agreed to increase the amount of supporter tickets released to the other club. So I believe it's doubled in number. It's up to, I think, about 600, which is basically the entire Victoria block is going to get a chance to come to the bank. So all the more reason why we should be invading them next time we head down south. But it is going to liven up the atmosphere a little bit. There's going to be significantly more supporters on their end than we're used to seeing. So I think all of that is going to lend for a fun game. And hopefully we can mitigate any of the nonsense and just focus on football this weekend. But Nonsense is somewhat guaranteed at this point. We hope for the best, though, regardless. So I kind of want to hear your take on this current LAFC squad. I mean, obviously the team is not playing well, but as far as the players are concerned, do you see any bright spots in this roster? People that you would like to see stay with the club going forward? You know, Vela has one foot out the door. Hey, you know, there's an opportunity. Go ahead, sign him. That could be your big name signing there over at Mani. But, uh, you know, with Atuesta, Rossi, Vela, Raito, all seemingly taken a step out. You know, what do you think is the future of LAFC right now from, you know, a football owner's perspective? The idea is bright, but I don't I don't think the implementation is right because LAFC, have, you know, is a new club, right? And we haven't achieved much. You know, we're still yet to officially win a trophy. The best we did was support us shield. So I think uh, on the proper management to be able to keep the same group of boys for a minimum of five years, at least for the team to be able to, you know, win a trophy, you know, win, win something for the fans, you know, to create that more fan base and love for the team. Because right now it's barely like three and a half years or so. And um, we have started to struggle, you know, soon we're going to start losing fans when they like it or not. People like to be, associated with winning big teams that win, not teams that lose. Part of the reason why LFC became successful is because they invested in the right players from the beginning and they had a plan. And that whole investment paid off because the team played well. So now we're selling our big names and buying cheap players, which have a good future, no doubt. But should there be the right buys right now with the situation we're facing ourselves? I think no. From my own perspective, I think no. You know, so... That alone is going to make the team struggle a little bit. And you, you never know how long he can struggle for. Because sometimes even with the right team and without the right momentum, the boys can still struggle. So when you don't have the right team, you don't have the right momentum, you have nothing, you don't know how long that struggle might last for, you know, which is which is sad, but that's where LS is heading to right now. Well, that's a bummer to hear. But hopefully these guys can turn it around and they can figure out some kind of cohesion in that locker room because – I think we all know the talent is there for sure. Well, we know that we have a limited amount of time with you this evening, so we'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show. 
We know you've already answered the question once, but perhaps a couple of years of growth and reflection have, may have changed your idea or your phrasing. So we'll go ahead and ask you one more time. And that is, El Valador, sir, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? Shoulder to shoulder means everything to me. It's it's a brother leaning his hand on another brother and bringing him up when he's down. So it's, it's basically one family. Well, thank you again so much. Uh, on behalf of Chris Christian, sound engineer Wilton and myself, we really, really appreciate you coming on the show this evening. Uh, of course, you guys know El Bailador Chris from the Facebook page, LAFC Fans. You can find him on Instagram or follow FC Manny on Instagram. They are at FC underscore Manny or head to FCMANNI.com. Check out, support, sign up to be a fan. I don't know if many of you have your USPL team already selected, but if you're looking for a club to support, we could think no better than supporting Chris and our friends over at FC Manny. We wish you guys all the best of luck in putting a roster together. We know you have some open tryouts going on this month, so hopefully all of that manifests itself in a squad of some good young men and and you can help them advance in this career. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate you guys so much, man. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, Chris. Thank you sir. And with that, you can take us home, Sticks. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.